Well, if you were with us last week, we, we started in this, this series on when I grow up. Say, when I grow up. Not if, but when. And, and how. That's what we're talking about here in, in the last few weeks is uh, just framing this idea that God wants us all to grow up. He, he's got plans for us to mature and to move forward and, and to become the people he wants us to be. Do you believe that? Here's Ephesians 4. We looked at this last week, just kind of laying a framework for what God wants for us and, and how he does it. And it says here that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Read the underline with me that we might grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. So some of the stuff we just addressed in, in worship about our unity, about laying down our division, laying down the walls that separate us, trying to grow an understanding towards one another, that, that's all part of this idea that we're supposed to grow up into him, that we're supposed to grow up into a united body, a powerful body, a church without spot or wrinkle. And so our roles and even help to promote that and to help the church grow in those things, part of the responsibility of leadership to help us grow up, but it's also everyone's responsibility to say, I'm not going to come just to stay where I'm at just to be a pew sitter. I'm coming because I want to grow. Amen? And uh, my kids my, and my grandkids now have these little things that you can get them in capsules, you know, and little dinosaurs, and, and, and you put them in water, and they expand and they grow. Anybody ever seen those things? And, and so this, this is called Grow a Boyfriend. Just add water for the perfect man. And, and so I found this online. He, he, he starts out about this big, but you just add water to him and he'll grow 600%. And, and this is what happens to him. It says, we will, we will never argue back. He'll never argue back. He'll always agree with you. He'll always be polite. He'll, he'll never, what's that say? Oh, He'll never snore, okay, and, and your friends will love him. And so that's the promise. You get this little guy, and you just add water to him, and poof, he changes into the perfect man. And some of us might even believe that about Christ. When we received him, all we need to do is add water. Just get him in the baptism, and after baptism, he's going to be changed. He's going to be Mr. Wonderful. Everything about his personality and his old nature, poof, it's going to be totally restored and totally resurrected in new life. But how many know that's not really how it works? How many know there's a process with God? Anybody been through that process, still in that process, that, that God, he, he doesn't just do it instantaneously. Now, I know there's things he delivered me from right away. When, when I got saved, I, I, I had a... Um, What's the right word for my vocabulary? It was a carnal vocabulary. I used certain expletives for nouns, adjectives, adverbs. I, 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 my mouth needed some work. I was, it wasn't picturesque speak. It was gutter talk. And one of the things I noticed right away when I came to Jesus, that started changing right away. My, my language started changing. He started changing some appetites and desires in my heart from the very get-go. But, but after 40 years, I'm still in the process of change. Anybody with me? I, I still know that there's things that God wants to do in my life. And so understanding his processes and then starting to apply some of those processes to specific areas of our life will help us move forward, will help us grow, will help us come become that church that he's after. Now, 
most of the time, when we look at the process of growth in Scripture and what Jesus talked about, he, he talked an awful lot about seed. He talked an awful lot about farming principles to his disciples as far as this process of growth. And, and here's one. It's in Mark 4 and I think it's Luke 13. When he's, when he's just comparing our growth in the kingdom to, to these agricultural principles. He, Jesus, said the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he himself doesn't know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. And in this parable right here, he's setting up a greater parable, the parable of the sower, where he talks about the attitude of people's hearts and the word of God being the seed, and it comes and it changes people in different dimensions based on what's going on in their heart. But consistently throughout scripture, there's this process that seed gets in, and seed being the word of God, and seed being new insight, and seed really being revelation, not just black and white, but when, when God's word becomes real and it becomes revelation and it gets in our heart and we begin to believe it and we begin to act on it, that's where true change comes from. Anybody experience that? And, and so this morning, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this process of change and then we're going to pick a couple things that we can work on together. Say this with me, grow, grow. And, and when we look through scripture, there's there's often all kinds of encouragement, all kinds of exhortation about moving away from childlike thinking, about maturing, about going to the next level. And so it's processes of growth. You know, it's been so cool the last uh, really couple months, our, our Saturday morning men's group at Coco's, we're meeting every other week. There's a group of guys that are coming from a uh, recovery home. And uh, yesterday, I think there was probably four or five of them there but the neat thing is just hearing how there were at one point in life, many of them were even raised in church, and uh, how the Word of God really didn't impact them. Matter of fact, had very little impact. They were still wanting to do their deal and go out and party and do the stuff that many of us got pulled into before we came to Christ. And, and now that their eyes are open, their hearts open, there's something different happening because they're sincere about God's word. They're sincere about growth. They're sincere about change. And the Lord's doing amazing work in their life. And so when we hear about how we change, scripture uses things or thoughts like this. In Isaiah 28, he says he goes from precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. In Psalm 84, it talks about going from strength to strength. In Romans 1, from going from faith to faith. We sang about it earlier. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about going from glory to glory. And, and this idea that we're here and the Lord wants to take us there is, is throughout Scripture. Now, this, this thought of going from strength to strength, often we grow in the midst of our trials. Often we grow when we have to exercise our faith. We go from faith to faith. We use our faith. We get a victory. We learn by the victory. Other things come down the road. We're exercising our faith again, and we're going from victory to victory. We're going from strength to strength. In, in Corinthians, he says we go from glory to glory, which means from encounter to encounter with the Lord. And so I know as we live openly in, in pre-service prayer, some members on the team were praying about this whole idea of surrender. When we, we start surrendering our life to the Lord and invite his growth in and say, God, help, help me to grow. 
I, I want to grow beyond this. Where I get stuck, where I get frustrated, where I'm angry or, or where I have vision, but I haven't been able to walk it out yet, God, help me, help me to grow from strength to strength and from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Lord, help me encounter you and, and so I can keep growing and I, keep, and I can keep moving forward. Anybody in here want that in their life? I, I wish it was instant. I love instant. <laughs> I mean, one thing about charismatic churches, we hear about miracles, and so that's what we're always after. God, give me the miracle. I mean, I've been walking this out with Gordon for a long time. I don't know how many gallons of oil we've, no, it wasn't gallons, but, but you know, God, heal him, this hepatitis C. We've, we've prayed for that. And now he started exploring these other options and hearing reports and decided by faith he could step out and even use some of the medical breakthrough that's coming and exercise faith along that line. And the Lord brought a tremendous healing. But I like it when it's quick. I like the, the idea of a debt cancellation service where, where you bring in your debts and we just lay hands on them. I wave a hanky and you give $1,000 and all your, uh, 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 all your debt goes away. I, I love the idea of that, 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 gosh, instantly my years of bad habits of spending could be wiped away by a debt cancellation service. And I praise God for where he does intervene, and I've seen him pay off a couple churches supernaturally. Oh, here, Lord, here. And you know, our, our friend Pacific Christian Center, a uh, guy was driving down the street or driving down the freeway past Pacific Christian Center, and the Lord spoke to this man driving down the freeway, the 101, to go into that church and pay off their debt. So they had a $900,000 debt, and this man obeyed and paid off their church. Come by O'Connor Way. Come by here. Go to Cuesta College. Come by here. And, 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 and you know, God moved on their heart. We, I have another friend. He's in Eureka. And uh, when they were remodeling, building their church, or actually it was when they bought their church, they put a debt on it. And this couple in the church were loaning the church the money to help pay off the debt. And as they got to be seniors and older in life, this just happened last year. And, and the man, uh, I guess the man passed away and his his wife was looking at the, what the church owed him, and she said, my husband, be, before he passed away, he said that we're just going to forgive the church this loan, and now your church is debt-free. Just supernaturally paid it off. I like it when it happens that way. How about you? But most of the time in life, I find that there's a process. I find that God's not always just doing it instantly because he's after other stuff, that he wants to work on us, that he wants to help change us from the inside. Do you believe that? And so when Paul says this in Ephesians 4, he said, get rid of your old self which made you live as you used to. The old self that was being destroyed by deceitful desires, and your hearts and minds must be made completely new, and you must put on the new self which is created in God's likeness and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. And so he says that God's in this process of helping us get rid of the old and walk in the new. But you know, I've found this out, that God does that sometime issue by issue and a little at a time. In, in Deuteronomy 7, when, when they were going to go in and, and take the promised land, God told them this, I'm going to give it to you a little at a time. You're going to drive out the enemies before you a little at a time, lest you be overwhelmed. And if you came to Christ and I came to Christ with all my issues, when I got saved and God said, okay, now that you're saved, work on this, 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 by next month, and, and then I'll accept you. I don't know about you, I would have been overwhelmed. I mean, it was overwhelming enough. I remember praying in the beginning, can I even stick with this? 
Can I even grow enough and exercise enough dif- discipline to move forward in you? And, and, and God told the children of Israel, you're going to take ground a little at a time, and you're going to move these things out a little at a time. And I've watched fast learners and fast growers and slower learners and slower growers, and uh, usually there's just a couple things sometimes that make that difference. I don't know about you, but I think I was in the slow learner line sometimes. I think God's had to show me stuff like 40 times sometimes before I get it. McFly, McFly, get it, get it. He has to repeat himself to me, like so that I'll I'll understand it and get hold of it. I know nobody else in here is like that. But but sometimes, like how many times you got to go around the mountain before you get hold of it, that that behavior, those those comments, that kind of attitude is going to cost you. And so sometimes in that slow learning category, I've, I've retarded my growth. Sometimes it's like we got a lot of stuff to unlearn before we can learn new stuff. Some of us have been tra- trained with religious thinking that's not from God. Ideas about God that are not from Him. Things, things about His character and His nature that were formed in us through religion that's not true in relationship with Him. Some of the ideas that have, we put limits on ourselves that we serve a big God that's got a big plans and a big future for us. And it is, it is jobs just not to keep us squashed down, but to liberate us into a freedom where he can use us and work powerfully in our lives. And some of you have discovered that, anybody in this room that has. And so God's got stuff for us. And some of our growth is stinted or hindered because we have to unlearn so much of the stuff, the baggage that we took on just through religious training. That's why it's good to train your kids right early. Amen? Some of us get hindered in our growth because it's painful. Growing's painful sometimes. Not only that, it's scary. I mean, even coming to Jesus, I thought, what is this new life going to look like? Even if I have mess and mistakes and little hardship, at least I'm used to that. I don't know what new stuff looks like. And so some of us, in order to grow forward, we got to just give up the fear and say, God, I'm going to abandon myself to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to surrender to you that I I just know because of your character and nature, you have a good plan for me. And so I'm going to just surrender these things to you, trusting what's going to be on the other side is going to be better than what I'm in right now. Amen? And then the other thing sometimes that hinders us is a lot of us just build new habits. And I used to like the idea that somebody said it takes 21 days to establish a new habit. I like that idea, but then another author author says it takes 66 days. And then in my own life, sometimes it takes six months to establish new habits, to renew our mind, to to practice things enough till it gets in us so this becomes my new way of life. To to practice things enough and to let those things and God's self-control work in me enough that a new habit's developed, a new way of doing things is developed that's helping me grow. I've also found this out, that when you try and fix too many things at one, at one time, you usually don't succeed at it, right? And, and you usually fail. And I've used this illustration before, but my yellow lab's a good example. So from here to that speaker, I can throw popcorn and she'll catch it. And she's not as good as she used to be, but she, she's, she's about nine now, but she used to be really good. So you could throw popcorn, but then sometimes they take a handful and throw it at her and she'd catch nothing. She'd catch nothing. And so instead of one, she could focus on it and catch it. When there's a handful of stuff coming at you, sometimes we, we just can't apply ourselves to anything and the change doesn't happen. 
And so before the new year, I was listening to Family Life Today. 89.3 has been K-Life for a long time around here. And I, I, I was on the advisory board in the, in the transition to Family Life. And Family Life Today by Randy Carlson, his big mantra, Randy's big mantra is like purpose living, living life on purpose, living life intentionally. And so if you go to Family Life's website, it's all about intentional living, purposeful living. And there was a guy that was uh, sharing. His name was uh, Pastor Mark Ashcroft. I'm driving down the 101, heading home, thinking about the new series for the new year. And this is probably the last week in December, between December and Christmas, uh, Christmas and January 1st. And, and Pastor Mark Ashcroft says this. He said, what I've been doing with my church over the last several years where I've seen the most growth is I'm helping them focus on just one thing. Instead of asking them to change this and change that, and we're, we're all over the place, he goes, I recognize that everybody in my church is at different patterns of growth, and because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, he's working on individuals over different topics that he wants to do to help grow them up. And so this power of one thing... This power of not 10 things at a time, but just focusing on one thing, it just makes so much sense. But in my sometimes 80 distracted mind, it is so challenging sometimes just to stay focused on one thing. And, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Just, just this in the next few minutes, just the power of one thing. Are you all right? Let's just talk about one thing. It's better to do something about one thing than to do nothing about many things. Do you believe that? Agree with that this morning? So let's just talk about a little this is a Russian Proverbs. If you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither one. I hacked into their computer to get that. <laughs> if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither one. And, and so that's true, the idea of just, you, you know, if you're going after too many things at once, you, you'll, you'll never accomplish anything. And so the idea for me and what Pastor Mark Ashcroft was encouraging his church and I've been thinking through is this idea for you and me as we're going through this series, we're in 21 days of prayer, we're about halfway through that is that we would just start asking the Lord, God, what's the thing that's the most important to you right now? I mean, that Martin Luther King Jr. speech where, gosh, and just in passion, I see it on his face, and he said, I don't care about anything else. I just want to do your will, oh God, when he says it with such passion. I think, man, that's the one thing, the one thing that he lived for, the one thing he died for is, is to make a difference, to build bridges, to bring civil rights to our country, to a people, one thing. And, and so in the next few minutes, let's just talk about this principle of one thing. King David talked about it in Psalm 27. If you read the history about it, when he's in Psalm 27, again, he's talking about his enemies who chased him, his enemies who boxed him in, and how God's delivered him from times past. And he says this, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Then he says, when you seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. He said, one thing. After all my years of fighting and warring and conquering and establishing and the things that caused uh, debt and grief in my life, David comes to the conclusion. He says, Lord, it's just one thing I'm after, and it's to stay hungry. God, it's just one thing I need. I know if I can stay connected to you and keep a hunger going in my life, God, that these other things will take care of themselves. I don't know about you, but I've figured that out a little, that if I can stay true and strong in Jesus, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. Amen? Anybody with me? And so as he said, one thing, Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in your house and behold your beauty. 
And then he responds, how, how does that happen? Well, God, when you say, seek my face, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to stay hungry for that. In the New Testament, we have something similar. And this is when Jesus made some friends with Mary, Martha, and their, and their brother Lazarus. And it's one of the first encounters we read in the gospel when he's invited to their house and he shows up and Mary and Martha are getting the meal ready for the whole group. And, and it happened as he went that he entered a village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at his feet and heard his word. And then Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? And Jesus told her, and therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus, I'm tired of doing all the work. Tell my sister to help me. If you're the son of God, get me some help here. And to tell her to help me. This is Jesus' response, verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Read 42 with me. But one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. There, there he never denounces or renounces the service part or minimizes the service part. But I think in seasons of your life and my life, when we're used to serving and being busy and just going and taking care of your to-do list and your, your need-to-call list and all those things, that there's times where the Lord would just say, hey, time out, one thing. One thing, you, you, you need to sit at my feet for a while. Right now in your walk or your journey with God, you know, is he speaking to you about one thing that's necessary, one thing that you could adjust, one thing that you could walk out even today, this week, and say, Lord, this is what we're going to work on together. This is the thing that I'm going to focus on. And Jesus said in this instant, you know, he, he didn't minimize the importance of the party, minimize the importance of help, but he said right now, you know, Mary, she, she's, she's chosen the one thing that's needed most, and that's to be with me and to connect with me. And she's not here just to take care of the house guests, but she's here to connect, to receive from me. Another example is just full surrender. This is a bit more of a complicated story. It could take a, a whole sermon on its own. But as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 18, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? And only God is truly good. And so... That's a different message, but verse 19, but to answer your question, you know the commandments, you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. And he answered him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth, but this verse 21 got me. But Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack Looking at him, he loved him and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. And he was sad at this word and went away, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, as scholars unpack it, it's, it, it's not just the renouncing of, of somebody that's wealthy, because in the next verses, they talk about him. Jesus says, oh, those that trust in riches, it's difficult for them to get in the kingdom of heaven. But when you back up and you read verse 21, Jesus looked at a guy who was sincere, said, I want to grow, Lord. I want to I walk in your kingdom. I want eternal life, and, and I love this. It, it wasn't a rebuke. Jesus looked at him. Scripture says he loved him. He loved them. You and me come to the Lord and say, God, we want to grow. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. I've been doing this. 
been exercising that, helping out here. Lord, what else is it? What else is it? And Jesus gives them an answer, not out of spite, not out of you know, any kind of a slam on who the guy is. Scripture says he looked at him and he loved him and he said, gosh, this is what's keeping you from really fully knowing me. You're trusting in just your wealth, your riches. You're still trusting in your own man-made stuff, your own empire. You're trusting in that. He looked at him and he loved him. He said, shift this. This is what you're lacking. Shift from that. He said, follow me. Take up your cross. You've isolated yourself. You don't do things that are uncomfortable. You don't do things sacrificially. You don't need to anymore. It's all taken care of. It's all paid for. But there's a dimension of life you're missing that when you enter into it with me, sometimes there's inconvenience. Sometimes there's taking care of the the Samaritan guy that's taking care of the broken person on the side of the road. Sometimes it's costly. Sometimes it's going to cause you to go out of your comfort zone and and bust out of the little world you can create with your wealth. No, no, no. If you're going to really know me, Jesus says, looking at him and loving him and saying, this is what will help you. This is what will cause you to follow me. Make the adjustment. And some scholars even said, this is a call for him to join the disciples. Jesus looked at him and said, man, you'd fit in my group. You have a heart to fit in my group. You could, you could travel with the 12 of us or the 11 or I, I don't know how many was picked. I think they were all picked in that point. You could, you could be one of us, but you still got stuff that's hindering you. So this, to me, is a call to surrender. If you would say one thing, Lord, what's the one thing? And the Lord would speak and say, I, I want you to surrender this because it's hindering you. When I first got saved, it was a little blonde lifeguard that I started dating at the Marriott Hotel. She, she had a BMW, new BMW. Neat gal, fun gal. And, and she didn't even know how many homes they owned. She wasn't sure. Her dad was a successful architect. We went up to uh, their, their horse ranch above San Clemente there, hung out a couple times. It was fun, but I was starting to grow in God. And, and she was starting in the beginning, but I couldn't handle the relationship. I, I could not. I did not have my flesh under control. You know, we were partying, all that. And God spoke to me and said, she's going to leave you tomorrow. And I remember those words, and, and, and I felt, gosh, how harsh. She's going to leave me tomorrow. And God was right. The next day, this is after a situation happened. The next day, she wouldn't return my phone calls. I drove by her house, her old boyfriend's cars in the driveway. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting because this gal was cute and this gal was fun and all those things. But I felt like the Lord said, this area of your life's not surrendered to me yet. You, you, you can't handle this yet. You can't build a relationship like I want you to have. So he removed it from me. And I still remember being really bummed about the girl, but really excited that I heard God's voice. Really excited that God was in my life and he cared about the little details. And it was about surrender to him. I ran into her years later. I was married. I ran into her in San Francisco on the streets at lunchtime. And I asked Jan, hey, could I, could I meet with Sue? And would it be okay if I just met and got caught up? Jan said, fine. Jan's not a jealous gal. And I asked her, what happened? I mean, you dumb me like that. You wouldn't return my calls. And she said this. She said, I, you were just confused. You, you didn't know really what you wanted then. You were going a couple different directions, and, and, and that was it. She was right. But I'm just grateful for the, the, the idea that God cares enough that he calls us to surrender because when he looked on the rich young ruler, he loved him. 
He said, this is what you're lacking. This is what's going to hold you back from fully following me and fully knowing me. And this is what Paul did. The church in the Philippi, he says this in chapter 3. Are you guys okay out there? Are you all right? And, and, and he says this, chapter 3, not that I've already attained. So he goes on and talks about his pedigree and how he was raised and being a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, a, and, and he's talking about all that, what he has attained before. And then he comes to this conclusion. He says, not that I've retained this already or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but read the underline with me, but one thing I do. This season of his walk, this season of how he's growing in God and the call in his life, he said, this is the thing I do. I'm forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. So he said, I got to let go of the old. And I find that hinders lots of people growing in Christ is the ability to let go of the old, the ability to release the old stuff. That's why we're doing sozo training. That's why Tom Dawson and team's doing doing this theophostic training, helping people let go of the old. He said, I, this is the thing I'm concentrating on. I got to forget what's behind me and reach forward. Say, reach forward to, to those things ahead. And I found it's really hard. You ever been on monkey bars before? You, you can't go there until you let go of here. You, you, you can't, if you're moving, you got to let go of that in order to get let go of that. I was on monkey bars yesterday at Shumash Park with my granddaughters, thank you. And, and, and so I know. And, and th this idea, you can't progress that way until you let go back that way, amen? And so that's what Paul said here to the church at Philippi. Randy Carlson said this, our resolutions to change seldom work because they center on the type of person we regret being rather on that who it is God is calling us to become. And we need vision and not regret. So sometimes our intentions of changing has to do with our regret, the mistakes we made. And so when I'd say, what would be your, your you know, one word that you would focus on? And sometimes it, it could be just like a negative attribute. My negative attribute that I'm overweight. No, no, that's not going to help you. It'll help you center on your condition that you're overweight. How about if the goal is now that you're going to get fit? That you're going to get fit. I want to focus on my depression. No, don't focus on your depression. Let, let's focus forward. Let's look at where God wants to take you, where, what he's going to bring you out of. I, I, I just focus on the injustices that's been done in my life. No, don't focus on the injustices. Let's pick a new word. Let's pick favor. Let, let's talk about the favor of God in your life. Let's talk about what God wants to do and where he wants to bring you because often our, our, you know, the intuition is when we're working on stuff, we, we pick the negative things rather than vision for what, what God wants to do in the future with us. Are you with me? So I just put some words down. If you would say, you know, for this season, what's a word that you could work on? And when I say work on, this is what Pastor Michael, he, he talked about. He said, what I have my church do, they'll pick on one word, and sometimes he does it for a whole year, and sometimes it's with the season. And he says, I'll take the word, and I'll look up the definition of the word. So I just get a, a healthy definition of what the word is. And then he says, then I'll take up scripture promises. I'll go through the Bible, or on my phone, or the app on my phone, and I'll search any promise that God's made about this attribute where I want to go. And I'll write down those things, and I'll meditate on those things, and I'll pray those things, and I'll declare those things, and, and help form in me what this thing that God wants to do in my life. 
And so Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1, he says that God's given us these great and magnificent promises that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature. And when I get a vision for what God's speaking, and not 10 things or 20 things, but just maybe one thing in this season, God, that we can work on, I I, I go after the definition of it. I go after the promises around it, and then I begin to meditate and believe and speak and read on those things with a focus that'll help me move forward. Does that make sense? So I threw out some words, warrior. Maybe you've been wimpy. You need to study what it means to be a warrior or a servant. You've been selfish. Or I put the word sound. It could be sound mind, but there's also a sound that comes out of a joyful believer. There's also a sound. I can feel it in here when I'm, when I'm in sync with God. There, there's a sound that comes. It's a sound of praise. But when I'm talking to people, there's a sound. It's like encouragement. It's like an exchange of life that comes when, when I know I'm walking tight with God. It's a different sound. It's not the sound of self-pity. It's not the sound of whining. There's, there's sound that comes when, when this is sound, when this is sound, when I'm in connection with God. How about healers? Some of you got gifts. I remember hearing a testimony, this is years ago at the vineyard, about one of the guys that was God was using in faith healing, and they asked him, when you were young, did you know God would use me this way? He said, not really, I just got hungry for it. I, I felt like it's so cool to help people be healed. So I started reading everything I could and watching all the, back then all the videos and, and, and just getting everything I could on healing, and then the Lord started using me. I highlighted a couple others, the word vow word vow. What does it mean for me to keep my word? If I just studied that out, maybe you, you know, might be areas of struggling just with being consistent or being on time or keeping your word. And you say, God, I'm just going to study what it means. Old Testaments, there's powerful things just about what it means to keep a vow. If you're engaged, I tell you, do a study on the word vow. If you're engaged to be married, do, do a Bible study on what it means to keep a vow. And it's got to do with covenant. And the cool thing is that when I get a revelation of what God said about me keeping a vow, then it makes me think, God, he is so much bigger about keeping his vows. He is so much more committed when he speaks something to stick to it because he calls me to stick to it when I speak it. And so just, I just highlighted a few up here. There, put joyful. Joyful. I think doing a Bible study on joyful, the whole body of Christ should do it. Maybe, maybe more people would want, want to be around us if we really did what Scripture said, walked in joy. The fruit of joy would be in our lives. Might be a little bit more attractional, huh? Ooh, I put on the far right the word martyr. I got this book called Jesus Freaks, and I busted it out this week for the Bible school. And in the book, Jesus Freaks, it it's historically goes through people throughout all ages that have sacrificed for Christ, they've laid their life down. And the interesting thing about what that means, when Jesus told the rich young ruler, he looked at him, he loved him, and he said, now I want you to give up some of this stuff, and and you got to learn what it means to sacrifice, to pick up a cross. So if, if we understood what that word really martyr meant, be one thing, and I think the bottom I forgot to put in italics, but miracle worker would be another one. When scripture talks about the working of miracles, there's a whole bunch of people in the body of Christ that need to understand how that's going to work and how God wants to use them that way in this season for what's ahead because there's miracles and some wild times ahead. I believe it fully. Amen? So 
What, what, what could be, oh, here's, here's my word. Here's my word right now, pursuer. It means to follow in order to overtake or to capture or kill. I highlighted kill. No, there's things that need to die. There's some things that mess me up that need to die. There's some things I need to pursue and step on them until they're dead. And, and, and just to kill them, there's other things I need to capture and there's other things I need to kill and to get rid of. And, and so in, in this thing about moving forward and God and growing and God to, ha to have that understanding of you know, attitudes that creep in and things I get myself into as far as commitments without praying through or saying yes too early. I, there, there's things I need to pursue to help me to grow. So that's my word right now. And it means, uh, you know, pursue is to fall in order to overtake, capture, kill, to gain, to strive, to strive to gain or accomplish. Isaiah 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. I love this. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. And so to me, that's, that's looking at what you were called to become. Why did God carve you out of the rock? Why did he put you on the potter's wheel? Why did he raise you up that way? And you got to look to those things because that's the guy I'm going to stand before God about in the end, being true to what I was hewn out of the rock for. And so I got to pursue that. Make sense? Hebrews 12 says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one else will see the Lord. There's another 40 or 50 passages just on pursuing but if you picked a word and you said, this is, this is what I'm going after in this season, I encourage you, get out the dictionary, look it up, and then get some scriptures and promises about it and start believing that you can take on that attribute and that you can grow in that characteristic. Amen? And this is the last one. This is the Message Bible. I like this. Paul writes, you groped your way through the murk once, but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true. These are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure it out. We'll please Christ and then do it. Do it.